Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's fastest-growing TV brand, TCL, brings you Mackie and Judd. It's hour number three of this three-hour extravaganza, the Mackie and Judd Show, here on 1500 ESPN, 1500ESPN.com. It is the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd are on vacation, easy to take vacation when the Vikings don't play this weekend. The Vikings bye week, but I'm grateful to be here. My name is Darren Doogie-Wolfson. The A-Job is the 5 Eyewitness News Sports Department. Manny Hill is here. Manny doesn't take vacation. Mackie and Judd might be on vacation, but Manny's like, hey, those two guys are so difficult to work with. They're so high maintenance. You know it's what a I relief am? when there's a substitute host in that studio. You know what I am, Doogie? A dedicated worker. You're a giver is what I'm you here. are, Manny. That's right, yep. All right, so we're waiting for Pam Borton to call us back. Yep. I texted with her last night. She'll join us at some point. But you know what? It actually might be good that she's not on the phone line right now because there is some developing news. Yes. Certainly not surprising news. This isn't me patting myself on the back, separating my shoulder, patting myself on the back. But (laughs) I did send out a tweet yesterday hinting that we'll get some Joe Maurer news, some official news very, very soon. And then I had a brief report on the 6 o'clock news on Channel 5 Last night, now it's gaining steam per the Star Tribune that it is official that Joe Maurer is retiring. Certainly not a shock. I mean, going back to that last regular season game, he puts on the catcher's gear. I mean, everything said that he's walking away, but he is set to to make it official in all likelihood a news conference. Now, that's not Joe's style, but I think Joe realizes he needs to hold some sort of news conference. So look for that news conference to take place early next week, in all likelihood on Monday. So Joe will make it official early next week, but there is a report out there from the Star Tribune, and certainly, again, just based on some intel that, that I had gained in the last 24 to 48 hours, this is not surprising news. Where does he rank in, in terms of all-time, all-time twins in your mind? Because I mean, he's, he's, right, he's not right above Kirby, but I'm... More a Mauer, pro Mauer guy mm-hmm. than most. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I also realize that concussions are injuries to the brain. I don't think people always put those two together. Joe has had multiple concussions. And I was talking to Jim O'Neill, his his high school coach from Creighton Durham Hall, a few weeks ago. You know, I think Jim's right. I mean, I think if Joe doesn't suffer yet another concussion, at the time it was it was said to be a neck injury, but it turned out to be Yet another concussion mm-hmm. back in May in Anaheim. I think Joe would have kept playing. I mean, the swing is still beautiful. He can still produce. He's still an on-base machine. You know, but I think the contract, you know, I think he teased people his MVP year in 09 when he hit almost 30 home runs. Now, you consider that 
like nine or ten of those home runs landed in the first row mm-hmm. left field Metrodome. That those of, are fly of, ball outs field shots, yeah. in most ballparks, including Target Field. But I think he teased a number of fans when he hit 28 home runs. And remember, he missed all of April that year. Mm-hmm. So he hit 28 home runs. I'll never forget his first swing in the season. In like 135, 140 fence. games, yeah. yeah. Or even less than that. So I te- he teased fans showing that he had some power, but the power never really materialized thereafter. But, heck, I always appreciated him for for being an on-base machine, mm-hmm. for being a gold-glove defender at multiple positions. At a premium position. He should have won the gold-glove last year at first yeah, base. he really should have. He is a gold-glove-esque. Even if he doesn't have the actual hardware, he has gold-glove-esque defensive skills. He was a very good defensive first baseman. And yeah. when he was able to catch pre-concussion, you know, before that concussion in 13 against the Mets at target field, he was a gold glove catcher. He was the best catcher in baseball for basically about a five or six year period. Correct. When he was going to the All-Star game. A lot of fans year. underrate defense, right? I know. It's just it's I the know. nature of the beast. Yeah. But he was a gold glove defensive player. And then to do what he did, you know, from an on-base percentage standpoint, yeah, I mean, he's right up there. He's not Kirby for me. Right. He's not Killebrew for me. I'd have to look at the numbers, Carew, what he did here versus in Anaheim, but certainly Rod is in that discussion. Mm-hmm. Tony Oliva is in that discussion. Yep. You know, but if we're talking the Mount Rushmore, right? That's the sports radio cliche. Mm-hmm. The Mount Rushmore for the Twins he's is Mauer. Do- is Mauer the among the top four? Well, he's certainly in the conversation. Definitely in the conversation. Yeah. So I mean, I just I appreciate, you know, and I'm disappointed that that I think he still could have produced for a few more years. You know, that the concussion just caught up to him, that you have to think long term. Yeah, you know, he's about to become a dad for a third time here yeah. this month. I mean, you have to start thinking about that. He's got more money than he'll ever need, you know, but unfortunately, you know, the concussions caught up to him. So, yeah, Joe Maurer, not a surprise, but Joe Maurer walking away. We did have Derek Falvey on the show an hour ago, Twins Chief Baseball Officer, and I asked one Maurer question saying, hey, you know, are you operating as if Joe won't be here? And he said, hey, we're having dialogue with Joe pretty regularly. Joe is still talking to some people. Mm-hmm. But my sense is Derek knew even an hour ago when I when I asked the question that Joe was was retiring. But again, it's I don't think anybody's surprised by this. But yeah, I mean I hope for some period here that that a lot of people can appreciate and don't necessarily look back and say, hey, he played on some really bad teams. You know, you look at his playoff record. I don't have his playoff statistics in front of me, but it's not his I don't think he blew people away playoff statistic-wise. Yeah, so I mean, I just, I hope as we reflect, as we look back, that as time goes on here, we'll have a greater appreciation for his brilliance. And you think about it. First overall pick of your hometown team. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about the weight of that. The expectations. You know, the Twins passing on Mark Pryor. Yeah. You know, I mean, you think about that. Move that move was questioned and it by some all people. worked out. Yeah, it all Maybe out he doesn't good. reach Cooperstown. Now, heck, it's not idiotic to make a case that eventually maybe he belongs in the Hall of Fame. But I don't think he gets there. I don't think the number's right now. He's in the Hall of Very Good. He's just not in the Hall of Fame. But all things considered, when you're the number one overall pick of the hometown team, I mean, that is a lot to deal with. 
See, I think... And he passed, at least in my mind, he passed with flying colors. See, I think he does get into Cooperstown eventually. I think it'll take him a little while, but I think he will get in, and I'll tell you why. I think the national perception of Joe Maurer is a lot different than the local perception is here. Like, people like you and I, like, we can look at Joe and get it. Like, we get it. But, you know, there's fans here that are just, they they just look at the contract and they look at the sort of the lack of home runs and, you know, all of that stuff. So they penalize him for that. But I think the 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 view on him nationally is because all these guys, like I, I look at the guys like Jason Stark and Buster Olney, Tim Kirchner, and all, all those guys, those national writers who have votes, they remember Joe Maurer as a catcher and how damn good he was as a catcher. And I think a lot of those guys will take that into consideration. I think eventually he'll get in, but it, it'll probably take him a while. It'll probably be a few years before before he gets in position to get in. How do you balance that, though? I mean, I know as a whole voter. By the way, the voting process is completely flawed. I and I'm 100% biased. agree. Yeah. I'm biased as somebody who works in the electronic media. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Vin Scully, Bob Costas, Bob Euchre, other great broadcasters, John Miller, mm-hmm. the fact that those guys don't have Hall of Fame votes is a joke. It's an outdated system. The Hall of Fame voting for baseball is an absolute joke. But there's no sense it's changing anytime soon. But I just wonder how you balance the last, I mean, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, all those years of him playing first base. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you separate the years, you know, him producing as a catcher, the years of him being a good first baseman, but certainly not Hall of Fame-esque numbers as a first baseman. Yeah, I think, well, and I know Jason Stark, when we've had him on with Mackie and Judd before, we've asked him about Joe, and he, he always brought up Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks was not a great first baseman, but, you know, the success was there for him. So I, I don't know. I, I just think Joe was so damn good as a catcher, and if not for the concussions that he had as the concussion issues that he had as a catcher, he probably was going to play catcher for a few more years, and he was... His last year as a catcher in 2013, I think he hit like 324. I mean, he was still, it wasn't like he was starting to tail off as a catcher. He just got to first base and, you know, the numbers, the batting average went down a little bit. But I I really wish he would have gotten a gold glove last year at first base that he that he should have gotten. He wasn't even among the three finalists. I know. And it's and it's it's a travesty. It was weird. It was really weird. It was really weird. And I think him getting that gold glove at first base, you get a gold glove at two different positions like that, I think that boosts your Hall of Fame status even more. And it's kind of a shame that he didn't get one at first base. And because he should have. It really it shouldn't, right? I mean we recognize Yeah. You can break down the defensive metrics and realize that he was worthy. But yeah, for some reason you know, having that attached to you, mm-hmm. gold glove first baseman. You're right. For a lot of voters, you have it at two different positions like that. That matters. It means, it means something. I mean, how much do you also hold against him that he played on some really bad teams? Mm-hmm. Now it's a very individualized sport. It is right. I mean, every time you're stepping into the batter's box, it's an individual matchup. You versus the pitcher. I mean, we can talk all we want. Baseball team, blah blah blah. It's a very individualized sport. But do you hold against him? The failures of 2011, 2012, 2013, 14. I guess 15 wasn't a train wreck, but not spectacular. Right. 16. 
All right, 17, 85 wins. You somehow get into the playoffs, even though 85 really doesn't get you into the playoffs. But whatever, you're, you're multiple games over 500. And then 18, 78 wins, but another failure of a season playing in one of the worst divisions of the last 20 years. Yeah. So you're playing all these games against the Tigers, the Royals, and the White Sox, and all you could muster is 78 victories. You know, I do wonder if voters will hold that against him that he played on just a lot of bad teams. Yeah, I know it's 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 interesting. I I think um I think eventually hopefully at least that that sort of phases out of the thinking if it's even a, a heavy a heavy talking point with with him because I mean it's he had some great years on some bad teams, on some teams that weren't very good. His last few years as a catcher, the team wasn't very good, but he was still very productive and very good. And, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they sort of weigh that whole thing. But I, if it were up to me, if I had a vote, which obviously I don't, I would, I would vote for him in. All right, quick on-air production meeting. Is that Pam Borton on hold? Uh, no, that is uh, actually Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold. Oh, Josh Arnold. Yes. Nice. He does I can his, use some uh, of Josh's money, speaking of money. Yeah. And, and you money know what? Talks. Why don't we do this? Why don't we get to a break? We'll talk to Josh. And then uh, we got Sage Rosenfeld. Yeah, we got out. Sage Rosenfeld. Yeah. In case the audience just joined in, it's not shocking news, but there is a report from the Star Tribune. And certainly there were hints dropped by a handful of us the last 48 hours that Joe Maurer would indeed retire. The Star Tribune is saying it's official that Joe Maurer has told the Twins he is done. He is retiring and to look for a news conference from Joe Maurer early next week, in all likelihood, on Monday. So, yeah, when we come back, we'll transition to football with Sage Rosenfels, the former Vikings quarterback. After Sage, if we can track down Pam, I'd like to talk Lindsey Whalen and her coaching debut tonight. The barn will be a rockin'. 15,000 people in the barn tonight. So if we can track down Pam, we will do that. So we've got some minutes to play with, but first... Let's get to Josh Arnold Money Talks. Good afternoon, Josh. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mackie and Judd Show here on this Friday on 1500 ESPN. Mackie on vacation, Judd on vacation as well, but the show must go on. Joining us now for his regular Friday appearance, he also does great work with Matthew Collar, on the Purple Podcast, which is available on 1500ESPN.com. It is former Vikings quarterback, Sage Rosenfeld. Sage, always appreciate your time. As you look back at, what was it now, five days ago, the Vikings' impressive victory over Detroit, 10 sacks. Do you get a sense from watching the Vikings over the last five games or so that the defense of last year is just about back, that they are back to being a dominating defense? Well, you know, they, they've been dominating the last few weeks, but in my opinion, against inferior opponents, you know, sometimes defenses look good versus bad offenses, and they don't look so, so good versus great offenses. And, you know, if you look, sort of go throughout the season here, the defense didn't look great early. Well, they're also playing teams like the Los Angeles Rams, which are about as explosive, explosive as you can find mm-hmm. uh, in today's NFL. Then the last couple of weeks, you know, they played against two rookie quarterbacks and then last week against the uh, – uh, the Lions, who had just traded away their best wide receiver, and looks like they've sort of you know decided to shut it down for the year. So uh, I do think the defense is playing better; they are improving, but they're also playing against worse comp- worse uh, competition. I suppose statistically, what sticks out the most from the dominating defensive performance five days ago was the ten sacks. 
nine of the 10 sacks from the defensive line. Of those nine sacks, can you recall how many where you were like Matthew Stafford? Why didn't you throw the ball away? That that they were those true coverage sacks and how many were just great rushes by that front four? Well, it was a combination of both. I mean, the front four really got after it this game, and, and this is why for the Vikings, and this has sort of been the Mike Zimmer game plan uh, throughout his time as, as, as the Vikings head coach, is if they can get the lead and just put a little pressure on the other team to try to catch up a little bit, in particular in that second half, that's when their defensive linemen can really feast, and that's what happened in this football game. But yes, on top of it, I don't know what Jim Bob Cooter, the offensive coordinator, was thinking. I don't know what Matt Stafford was thinking. They were calling way too many, you know, deeper, deeper drops, holding on to the ball for a long time. Again, I think Golden Tate, too, is a really crafty receiver, whether he's an outside guy or a guy in the slot. He's a guy that could get open and get open very quickly against really any type of coverage. And, you know, in this game, uh, the, the, the Detroit Lions did not have him because they traded him away, you know, the week of the game. So, uh, yeah, I think it was a combination of a lot of things, but of course, I think the Vikings getting that early lead, uh, and then which uh, you know which allowed that defensive line to really uh, go to work and, and do what they do best. Sage, how big has the return of Everson Griffin been for this defense? I mean, he just brings. I mean, obviously he's a terrific football player, but he just brings so much energy and leadership to that to that unit too. And and we're really starting to see the difference with him being back in the lineup now. The last couple of weeks. Well, let's just let's just uh, sort of switch the conversation real quick, and I'll get back to Everson. Let's talk about how it was for Adam Thielen to not have Stephon Diggs on the other side last week, right? Yeah. You sort of saw how team the, the 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 Lions could really focus on Thielen, pretty much shut him down for most of the game. He had a you know statistically worst game of the year, and it wasn't even close. Well, same sort of goes for Daniil Hunter. Uh, when Everson's not playing, you know, they can really, teams can really focus on Daniil. They can put a tight end there. They can put a running back to chip on that side. Uh, but when Everson's in, it sort of picks your poison. And most teams, you know, sort of help out that left tackle more than the right tackle, which then, then again, you know, allows Daniil to really sort of be one-on-one with that right tackle. Gives him a great advantage. So anytime you have two good pass rushing defensive ends, uh, that, that's a huge help. When you only have one and the other one's out of the game, or really when you only have two, and you don't have three because I think Weatherly's a really good player. And when you don't have that extra guy in rotation, uh, that can really hurt you as well. Where are you at with Kirk Cousins now as we are, as we hit the bye week for this team? And and I mean the numbers are there, and I, and I know you've you've talked about them quite a bit over the course of the season with with Collar on the Purple Podcast. And and as they hit the bye now, where are you at with Kirk Cousins and how he's performed and and what he needs to work on? Uh, as we get to the second half of the season here? You know, I think with Kirk, I try not to look at the numbers too much. You know, he's always put up really good numbers. I think he's going to put up great numbers by the end of the season. The question is those plays that aren't, don't really end up in the stat sheet. You know, the plays like you had in the ballgame, he got pressure in his face rather than just throwing the ball away. He tries to make that one extra play, uh, which sort of, compound the problem with another problem and he ends up throwing his interception in that football game those are the types of plays that have hurt the vikings this year and hurt cousins those ones again those ones that don't necessarily end up in the statute as a negative for him of course that one does with the interception but you know those plays where a a left tackle or right tackle gets beat he tries to do a little bit extra and next you know either he fumbles or he tries to force the ball ends up being a bad play so for me it's the sort of 
uh, sort of the, the stuff that doesn't always end up in that, that stat sheet. There's games where it looks like statistically, man, Cousins played great, but anyone who actually watched the game to sort of the naked eye, to the average uh, 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 viewer of, of NFL football games, you say, you know, Kirk played well, but there were some plays in that football game he, he definitely wishes he could have back. You know, th- those are the plays that as the season progresses, uh, as we really, you know, lock, try to lock down this NFC North uh, over the course of the next two months, as they uh, hopefully get in the playoffs, those are the plays. If he continues to make them, will end the Viking seasons, whether it be in the playoffs or in the hunt to get there. If he doesn't make those plays and he makes more of a smart play and just protect the football, take the sack, or or throw the football away, if he makes those, those smart plays, I can see this Viking team going very far. One or two boneheaded. Plays, mistakes, decisions by Kirk a game. Isn't that who he was in Washington? But you know what, Sage? I mean, what what was the alternative? I mean, plan B was Case Keenum. Give me Kirk Cousins 10 times out of 10 over Keenum. I wasn't willing to roll the dice. The Vikings weren't willing to roll the dice on Teddy Bridgewater, not knowing what his health is long term. So, I mean, who did they think they were getting? I mean, you know, if, if anybody's upset with the way Cousins has played through these nine games, I mean, you weren't getting Aaron Rodgers. I mean, quarterbacks, even as good as Kirk, so rarely become unrestricted free agents. So to me, even with those boneheaded decisions, and yeah, there are about one or two a game, we start scratching your head thinking, what is he doing? But I'll still take all the good that he provides over those one or two mistakes a game. Oh, absolutely. I I think what Rick Spielman and Rob Brzezinski and and what Zimmer did this offseason uh, and paying Cousins whatever they paid him, I think it was absolutely the right decision for this year, for next year, for the next three years. I really do believe it's the right decision. And he may make those bad plays, but there was nobody on the market who had the upside that Cousins has. He, he does so many positive things for this football team. And, you know, we like to sort of harp on the negative. That's, that's what we do. But he does a lot of positive stuff. He is a very good quarterback. He has played it like a top 10 quarterback. You don't find top 10 quarterbacks in free agency almost ever unless they come off of some, you know, random injury, uh, you know, like what Drew Brees had where he ripped out his shoulder uh, and, you know, teams sort of wavered on him. And then, you, you know, the, the, the same thing of getting a guy who ended up being a Hall of Famer. So the Vikings are very lucky that a guy uh, that was what I consider a top 10 guy playing like a top 10 guy was even available. And I think he's playing well. Yeah, I think everyone's very happy with what Kirk has done. It's just those couple plays of the game. If he can avoid those, and, and it's sort of like don't compound a negative with another negative, stay away from those catastrophe plays. If he could avoid those, man, he would be probably a top-five quarterback the way he's been playing for most of the season. You a fan of new wide receiver Chad Beebe? I love him. I love him. Listen, I'm, I'm not uh, – you, you prefer to have big, strong, and fast, and, and quick, and, and a guy who gets separation – those guys don't come around very often. There's only only so many Julio Joneses in the NFL. So on third downs, on fourth downs, like we saw in that ball game, I want a guy who can get separation, in particular on you know third and two to third and six. You see a ton of man-to-man coverage in those down, down distances, and it's nice to have a third or fourth option that a guy can get open and, and, and gain some space between him and his defender. That route he ran... Uh, sort of a pivot route, uh, sort of a shallow cross return uh, in the ball game. Uh, I believe it was the second quarter, and he got space from Darius Slay. I tell you what, Darius Slay is one of the best cornerbacks in the league, definitely one of the better ones in the NFC North. He had about three or four yards of separation from Slay, who was all over him man-to-man pre-snap. And, and you know, not many guys can do that. 
I don't really care, again, how tall guys are as wide receivers. It's nice, but on third down, I want someone who can get separation. And from what I saw in this football game, this BB kid got separation almost every time he ran a route. With Dalvin Cook being seemingly back and he had the big run on Sunday of 70 yards, it looks like the hamstring is doing okay. And now going to the bye week, you give him kind of an extra rest that maybe, you know, if you want that extra week to get him back to 100%, this bye week will certainly help with that. But do you see, with him being back into the fold now, do you see them utilizing the screen game a little bit more? Because it seemed like before the injury last year and then going into this season before before the hamstring started to bother him, they were really going to sort of mold this offense around Dalvin Cook and utilize that screen game more. Do you see them still doing that Well, now that Dalvin's back in the lineup? Well, this is something we've talked about on the Purple Podcast uh, a lot this week is, is we wish John Filippo would use the screen game more. He does yeah. it to the he, he runs these wide receiver screens his fair share, but we wish he'd run a little bit more to Cook. Even Latavius Murray, I tell you, Murray's been sort of a crafty running back uh, when he gets in space. I think he'd be a good screen runner to the tight ends, be a chance for them off the play action to you know for for the, the quarterback to turn around after he fakes to the running back and look deep, let all that defense go deep and let that pass rush get to him, and then dump it off to to Kyle Rudolph for a nice uh, tight end screen. That's something Pat Sherman did a lot last year. The screen game helps the pass protection a lot. Uh, And that's one issue that the Vikings have really struggled with this year is just straight drop pass protection. I'm thinking getting Cook involved and and things like those screens will be very advantageous for this offense. On the pass protection, I mean, is that your greatest concern these final seven games, how the Vikings offensive line will hold up? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the pass protection thing to me uh, I, I wish they'd run the ball more. I wish, again, do those screens more. You know, try some different things to help out that pass protection. You know, if you go through an entire game, and let's just say Kirk Cousins throws 35 passes in a game, you don't want to have, you know, 20 or 25 of those as straight drop back. You'd like to have maybe 10 to 12, maybe max 15 as straight drop back. I'm talking five and seven steps. The rest of them, you like to have, you know, three-step drops, some bootlegs, some play action, some screens, uh, you know, some bubble routes and things like that. Get the ball out of his hands uh, amongst those 35 throws. I think right now they're just dropping back way too much. And some of those were because they were behind early in those football games. Again, you know, trying to keep up with the Rams and, and the game versus the Packers. They had to throw the ball time to fourth quarter to come back. Uh, but it would be nice if they could be a little bit more uh, creative, a little more inventive, and come up with different ways to throw a football rather than drop back and, 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 and be in that pocket. That's not where Kirk is always great uh, in this offensive line. They just, they're, they're not the best pass protectors in the world. doesn't mean they're not a good O-line. I actually think they're a very good O-line. I just think they need to try some different things. And, again, I think it actually starts with the running game. They're not running the ball as much as, as, much as I would prefer, and they're getting these, like, you know, third and 10, third and 8, third and 12 situations. That's like an offensive lineman's worst nightmare. Uh, to have the pass uh, pass protect for that long. Do players like later bye weeks into the season, Sage? I, I remember. I think when when you were with the Vikings in '09, I think you guys had had one of the latest buys, if not the latest buy um, of of that season. Do, do players sort of like it when the buy is a little bit later in the year? Because typically, when you've played this many games, your your bodies are a little bit more banged up, and and it gives you that week late in the season to sort of uh, rest the bodies for a week or so. Does, do you know, was that kind of the same thing for you guys in 09? Did you guys have any like crazy, 
crazy bye week stories or anything like that from 09, you know, with it being that late in the season? No, I I, I just I, I do remember I, I think over the course of my career players, you know, quarterbacks are a little different. We're usually not quite as beat up as everybody else, but players usually when that schedule would come out, you know, sometime in like what is it, usually May or something like that, you mm-hmm. look at it and you look for a couple of different things. You look for that bye. Uh, you look for how many games you're going to have on prime uh, prime time. Uh, you know when you're going to play at Green Bay. You're going to play at Green Bay in September. You're going to play at Green Bay uh, in December. You look for those types of games. But yeah, that bye week. I think it's always preferential to have it later in the year. Uh, it's also uh, you also sort of look at that Thursday night game because the Thursday night game is sort of a bye week as well. Obviously, you're playing on the Thursday, but you're not going to really do much physical practicing during the week, and then you sort of have a mini bye after the game. Friday, Saturday, Sunday usually have off. So. I like the fact that the Vikings sort of had an earlier Thursday night game, uh, uh, sort of split up the first half of the season. Now they have this late bye, and, and hopefully uh, it'll help them get healthy for the stretch run. What do the Cyclones have this weekend? I will be traveling to Ames, Iowa tomorrow to play for the because uh, Iowa State's playing the Baylor Bears. It's supposed to be about 29 degrees, partly sunny. Should be beautiful Cyclone weather. Can't wait. Very nice. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> well, come on down. I think my guy Chad Graff from The Athletic is going to come down. Oh, is he? Yeah, Chad's annual. a great guy. Yeah, I think he comes down to an Iowa State game for some reason every year. I'm not sure if he uh, has some sort of relation to the, to the Cyclones or what, but I'll tell you, my, my, our head coach, I'm sure a lot, even a lot of Minnesota fans know about Matt Campbell. He's a yeah. fantastic head coach. Uh, he's really got this team playing great football. we got some really good players. We've got a wide receiver who was, uh, who was on the mock. Uh, he, got, he mocked somebody last week versus Kansas, and and Randy was talking about in the pregame shows on Sunday. We have a stud. His name is Hakeem Butler. We got a stud running back named David Montgomery. Uh, both those guys, I think, are NFL players. And we got a true freshman quarterback named Brock Purdy, who is uh, who's really a fantastic you know player. He's a smaller guy. He's shifty, throws the ball well, but he's also one of those guys uh, who can hurt you with your legs. So they got a really fun team to watch, and and hopefully that weather stays windy and cold for when that team from Baylor from Texas comes up and uh, and plays in our home turf. Enjoy your time in Ames, Sage, and have a wonderful weekend. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. That the voice of former Vikings quarterback Sage Rose. What is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd. What? On 1500 ESPN. Welcome back. 20 minutes to go here on the Mackie and Judd Show. Those guys are on vacation. It's Darren Doogie Wolfson, 1500 ESPN, 1500ESPN.com, the TCL Broadcast Studios. Joe Maurer making it official with a letter. It is now posted on MLB.com. I'm making sure I have the right website. MLB.com, and he lays it out. It's, I'm guessing, the ad that he took out for Sunday's Star Tribune. That's where the Star Tribune got the tell that that Maurer is indeed retiring. Look for a news conference early next week. Certainly not shocking news, but Joe Maurer, a wonderful career, all sorts of expectations, and he exceeded those expectations when he was the number one overall pick in the draft. Three batting titles, an on-base machine, a defensive wizard, a phenomenal career in so many different ways. Congratulations to St. Paul's own Joe Maurer. Speaking of retiring, Lindsey Whalen retired after a great run. As a professional basketball player, it's a quick transition to coaching. Somebody that knows Lindsay incredibly well is her collegiate coach. He's the all-time winningest coach in Gophers women's basketball history. It is Pam Borton, and Pam is nice enough to join us now. Hi, Pam. 
Hi, how are you doing? Doing just great. How much are you looking forward to watching Lindsay, your pupil, make her coaching debut tonight in a packed Williams Arena? Well, I can't wait. Unfortunately, I can't be at the game tonight. But I, a lot of people have asked me if I was going to be there, and I cannot be there tonight. I actually live on the East Coast now. Oh, okay. But I, yeah. will, I will be at many of her games uh, this year and for years to come. All right. Well, you'll still be paying attention. And, yeah, you'll get here eventually, whether it's December, January, February. You'll eventually get here. Have you had a chance to talk to her the last few weeks? Have you been able to give her any advice? Absolutely. You know, um, just really enjoy her journey. She's really enjoying coaching and really learning what, you know, coaching is all about at this level. But really to enjoy the journey and just really enjoy her players. And um, so that's been the biggest thing as far as on the court. But a lot of it has been, you know, about her personally and making sure, you know, she takes care of herself and heading into the season and just, you know, just some helpful tips from someone that did it for a very long time at a very high level and um, just to really take care of herself is really, really going to be important moving forward. Can you recall your first game coaching? Oh my goodness. It's been so long. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't know if you ever forget your first game. Um, I had obviously a very um, special team and I think we went 12 and 0 uh, my first year before we lost the game. We had a lot of talent and obviously Lindsay was a junior on the team that year. And, um, but it was, it was a, it was a good year. It was an interesting year because it was a team I inherited. But um, it was, uh, it was a great year. I mean, I suppose what's different is, I mean, I'm sure it was a nice crowd. Your first game coaching, but it wasn't fifteen thousand people in Williams Arena. I mean, that just adds another layer. That that place is going to be rocking tonight. It will definitely be rocking. No, I think we had to, uh, we had to earn our stripes and and earn. Um, uh, people to come to the games and and so forth, and I think we did, um, you know, throughout the next couple of years by filling Williams Arena. Um, but Lindsay's earned it too. I mean, Lindsay's earned it. Everybody's uh, very very excited. Lindsay's done a lot for the program and for the state and for every fan that's going to be in the stands. Um, she's done a lot, and I know how much she appreciates everybody being there tonight. What is it like when Williams Arena is rocking from your point of view? I mean, you guys had success. I mean, you're right. I mean, heck, you take them to the Final Four there in that 03-04 season with Lindsay, with Janelle McCarville. What's it like coaching in Williams Arena when that place is rocking? It's, it's like nothing you can ever describe. And it is like a once – it's like an experience that you can't explain. It's a rush. Um, it's you're, – you're just somewhere else. You're really somewhere else. It's electrifying. It is powerful. It is loudening. It is amazing, and honestly, I think there's going to be so much energy and so much excitement in, the, in that gym tonight. Lindsay's going to have to do very little coaching because the fans are going to be coaching the team and just kind of pushing them on to victory. What will be some of her biggest challenges, do you think? Um, let's see. I think, you know, I think one of her, I don't know if it's a challenge. I don't know if I'd call it a challenge, but I think it's, um, really breaking the game down and actually teaching the game, you know, to people, to, to players that, that aren't as good as she is. And Lindsay has always been a player that just went out and did it. And very little had to be, you know, broken down for Lindsay as far as, you know, how to learn a specific skill. And now Lindsay's going to have to learn how to teach and how to teach those skills to, you know, players that are not up to her caliber and obviously younger and, all of those things, but just really learning how to teach the game. Did you see 
coaching in Lindsay's future? Like when you took over, when you inherited that team with Lindsay, was she then a junior? Oh two, oh three. I mean, did you see a coach in Lindsay Whalen those couple years that you coached her? Well, I think what you see in Lindsay is Lindsay was always a coach on the floor because she's you know that that point guard. She's that quarterback. Um, she was the one that ran the team on the court. She knew every position. People trusted her. She was the calm. She brought everybody calm on the court. She will do that as a coach as well. Um, but yeah, I think anybody that's kind of in that lead position, that point guard position, and how well she just knew the game and kind of orchestrated how everything went. Um, but yeah, I could really see that she had the potential to be a coach if that's what she wanted to do. Even though, Pam, you're living and we're talking with Pam Borton. Pam, even though you live on the East Coast now, I mean, you certainly have a grasp of, of what Lindsay has meant, continues to mean for Minnesota girls basketball, women's basketball. Can you put that into words? She is like the one. I mean, she is like the the individual in the state of Minnesota that why everybody, why every young girl is playing basketball, why they fell in love with the game, why Minnesota um, girls basketball is so strong. It's one of the countries and the nation's best talent here in state. And Lindsay alone, you know, really did that for the, for girls basketball here in Minnesota. And, you know, Girls grew up wanting to be Lindsay Whalen. They grew up idolizing her. She took the game to a whole nother level on every level, you know, whether it's college, whether it's, you know, the WNBA with the links to high school. And she just had an impact from the grassroots all the way up to the highest level that you can imagine. Pam, is the smile on your face even wider knowing that Kelly Roisland, somebody else you know really well, is on Lindsay's staff? Uh, I, I mean, I, I couldn't. I'm like a proud mother, and Lindsay, or Kelly was the first player that I recruited at Minnesota. Uh, played for me for four years. She was on my staff for four years as um, kind of my right hand assistant. Um, so she, you know, I know Kelly is so excited to be walking up on Williams Arena court tonight. And um, Danny O'Banion was another former player and assistant coach, and she's on the staff as well. So, I mean, I couldn't be more happy, more excited, uh, more proud that, um, you know, those individuals are, are running the program. I'll let you go after this, Pam. I mean, now that you're living out east, what's, what's keeping you busy on a daily basis? Well, I have my own uh, executive coaching business. I'm a professional speaker. Um, I've written a book. Um, I do a lot of leadership training in companies. Um, but I do um, – I'm, I'm actually a road warrior now. I do a lot of traveling. And um, but I actually have my own business and um, doing very well. And life's a little bit easier when you don't have to deal with the stresses of coaching. Um, it's easier in that way. Uh, that is correct. It's easier that way. That uh, the stress and the pressure is uh, definitely very very different. Um, you know, but I think as a coach, you always put that that pressure on yourself to to be the best at what you're doing, and um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. But there's no stress, but just. Uh, um, you know, you want to, when you want to get to the top, you want to get to the top. Pam, I greatly appreciate your time, and let's connect in person when you're back in town, inevitably here in the next handful of months. Sounds great. Have a great night, and go Gophers. That's the voice of the all-time winningest coach in Gophers women's basketball history. She coached Lindsey Whalen in college. That was Pam Borton. Had a very nice run. A very nice run. She did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, toward the end, change probably needed to happen but yeah i mean her track record certainly speaks for itself i mean mm-hmm. that final four run with Waylon and mccarville was oh my gosh it was, was so a ton fun. of fun yeah it was yeah. all right when we come back the rap
with Royce. We'll get Patrick's thoughts as a Hall of Fame voter on Joe Maurer. Will Patrick Royce, presuming he's still alive, he's still with us and in five years, will he vote Joe Maurer into Cooperstown? We'll ask Patrick next. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've heard to date. On 1500 ESPN. Just go down with the thought that in three weeks, he is signing over his retirement life to me. Although for a second time, he's actually loaning me his his palatial estate down in the Fort Myers area so the wife and I can escape for a few days. I'm just thinking, maybe he just, maybe the alarm bell went off in his mind. (laughs) Doogie, oh, that's right. right. What the hell? I'm giving him the convertible, the condo. Convertible on the condo. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we cannot track down Patrick. I was thinking also, he's probably over at the barn. I think he's going over to the barn. Yeah, and it's a new media seating setup. Mm -hmm. It is a really tight fit. Yeah, it's like section two hundred three. Let's just say it's even a tight fit for Daniel House, who does a great job covering Gophers football. Yes, he does for fifteen hundred ESPN.com. Daniel is a stick. Let's just say it's a tight fit for Daniel. Do you like the so white? think about the fit for Patrick? Do you like the white floor? I don't it, mind it in person. Mm-hmm. On TV, it looks it looked horrendous. pretty. It looked pretty bright on TV. I was yeah. kind of like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, but. and Monday's game against Utah is on the Big Ten Network. So for a lot of people, you'll watch eight o'clock on Monday night. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's visually pleasing on TV. But in person, I've in been person, over there a few times. As, I like it bright. in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I know a lot of people that are still upset that they. They went away from the maroon bordering. You know, a lot of people don't adjust well to change. Yeah. Especially some of those older Gophers fans. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't mind it so much in person. So yeah, we don't get a chance to ask Patrick, a baseball Hall of Fame voter, if he would give a vote to Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer making it official. The letter is now everywhere. First posted on MLB.com. I presume this is the ad that he also took out in Sunday's Star Tribune. The Star Tribune had the news about an hour ago. Because, hey, they're putting together the ads for Sunday's paper, and, hey, here's Joe Maurer with a thank you to everybody ad. So they knew that Joe was was walking away. Certainly not breaking or shocking news, developing news, however you want to term it. It's, right. But it's worth talking about now that it is official. But I think going back to the, to the final regular season game, that game against the White Sox when he put on the catcher's gear, I mean, I think we all knew yeah. at that moment that Joe was walking away. And I won't read the entire letter, but it starts off by saying, after much consideration... I've decided to retire from playing baseball. This decision did not come easily as baseball always has been and always will be one of my greatest passions. The last few months of this season were very emotional for me and I wanted to take time to separate some of those emotions and think with a clear frame of mind. The decision came down to my health and my family. The risk of concussion is always there. Mm. And I was reminded of that this season after missing over 30 games as a result of diving for a foul ball. I'll end my reading there. It's what we talked about yeah. 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, Manny. If he doesn't suffer that concussion, yet another concussion, a brain injury. Yeah. That's what a concussion is. It's an injury to the brain. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't suffer another brain injury back in May, diving for that foul ball in Anaheim, I think he plays another year or two. I do. Yeah. So it's just, it's unfortunate. But I'm telling you, when you're the number one overall pick in the draft and you have all those expectations attached to being the number one overall pick, and I actually think he exceeded expectations, as lofty as the expectations were. When you win three batting titles, when you're an on-base machine the way he was, 
When you play gold glove-esque defense, he you win a gold great, glove as a catcher. catcher. Should have won one last year yeah. at first base. Like You could make a case he maybe deserved one this year at first base. But certainly last year, for him to not even be among the three finalists last year was an absolute joke. And he was a great, great catcher. Gosh, he was such a good catcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, just all time, like all time great with, with the offense and certainly with the defense and winning the gold gloves and the silver sluggers as a, as a catcher and things like that. I mean, he was, he was in his prime and his best days as a catcher. He was unbelievably good. And he represented the organization incredibly well. Yes, he did. You know, devoting his time to a number of charitable causes, you know, never in the news for the wrong reasons. You know, certainly the personality is lacking. That doesn't make him a bad guy. You know, he's an introvert in many ways. Mm-hmm. But he did. He represented the organization in such a fantastic way. So Joe Maurer announcing his retirement from baseball. And you think about going back the last 50, 60, 70 years, the all-time great athletes in Minnesota sports history. You know, you think of the Dave Winfields. But certainly Joe Maurer is right at the top of the list. Yes, he is. Gophers Purdue tomorrow. I hope it's another 59-56 game like in 1993. The way this defense is playing, it might be something like that. It might. (laughs) We're done. Have a great weekend, everyone.